the sermon series we're in for Advent is looking in Isaiah 9-6 about how Jesus is for us. A wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, prince of peace. And what we've titled the Advent sermon series looking at each one of these names that Jesus has given, is that Jesus is all that we need, period. Jesus is all that we need. But if you are here today and you don't, you don't trust Jesus, um, either because you've never trusted him or, or you're here today and something in the last week, maybe the shooting in San Bernardino or something else, made you... Um, just somehow doubt creeped in uh, because of that. And, and you hear me say, Jesus is all you need. And you say to me, prove it, <laughs> right? Uh, you think that is either a simplification of it or that's an exaggeration, right? You're either simplifying the, the hurt and the pain and all the things I see going on in the world or you're exaggerating the power of God because it doesn't seem like it matches up. It doesn't seem like, like God has been or Jesus has been all that we need. I was meeting with a, a dear friend yesterday um, for coffee. And, um, and essentially the question came up, do we, need, do we even need God? And, and they were bringing some of their doubts to the table and... Um, and I want you to encourage, if you have doubts, bring those to the table. Talk about that with people. Um, and the question, do we need God? Can we just have this, this uh, shared good morals, uh, kindness? Can we just share kindness and patience and know that, that I'm not going to treat you in a way other than I would want myself to be treated? And I said, I said, man, those... Those are things that I celebrate, but I need, I need context for that. Like in my story, my story that, I don't know what your story is, but my story which every week is filled with some conflict, some, something that comes in and, and makes me unkind to other people or makes me just treat people in ways that I wouldn't want to be treated myself. So even the way I define kindness and goodness, I don't necessarily act in that way. And neither do I see that that happening. I don't see um, I don't see a shared morality. And so I said, what I need is I need a story that explains what's going on and why is going on. And I need a story that that shares with me what can be done about it, right? So. What I'm going to talk to you guys about today and, and following what we looked at last week with Wonderful Counselor is that when we find um, ourselves introduced to Jesus as mighty God, I think it, it shares with us this full story. Not just a good story, but a true story that, that when I believe and I enter into that story, there is incredible hope and something that literally saves me. Um, when we think of being saved, there's a lot of injured, uh, images that can conjure for us, and, and one of those is that of, of being saved by a superhero. That's probably not what first came to your mind. <laughs> but, but if you think of aliens attack Seattle, what would we want to come other than the Avengers, right? You'd, you'd want a little bit of Thor, yep. maybe a little Hulk, 
So, so what, will, what will rescue us? And as, as I thought about that, our idea of a hero that can come, a hero that can save the day, I thought of this cute picture that was passed around on, on Facebook a little while back, you know, this inundation with all these pictures. But one of them was a window washers at a, a children's hospital who dressed up as superheroes. You have Batman, you know, who like would descend from the roof and the kids would be like, Batman is out my window! And, and, and you could just like identify like this, this hero. And... And while we love that, and while I, I celebrate that just as much as anyone, um, the idea of delight that comes to a child to, to have this hero, this super person outside their window, um, and that will bring a spark of joy, it, it does not bring hope. Um, that, that Batman, that Superman hanging out their window won't come in and, and in any way really rescue them permanently. And... Um, and so we face this challenge of we've created in different ways um, things to look to and to celebrate that, that seem really because they are too good to be true. Heroes. And yet when we face the incredible the, the needs, that we, it seems like in our world those that have little continue to have less. And a lot of times those who have a lot have more. And, and there seems like inequality there. Um, those who um, are hurting, it seems to persist. And sometimes even though that are doing, some that are doing okay wake up tragically sad in the morning. And you're like, how, how, do, we, how do we find um, rescue? How do we find salvation in those moments where we feel very powerless against those things? And when Jesus is presented to us here uh, in, in the prophecy of Isaiah is a mighty God. I believe it speaks directly to this question. Who can and how can we be saved? Um, there's two things we're going to look at. And not every sermon has three points. And so if you've been under that impression, we're just going to be doing two today. So maybe that'll be simpler for all of us. The first is that, that Jesus shows us what it means to be a hero shows us what a true hero is, and that Jesus shows us who God is. Um, what I mean by this, that might be a surprising first point, what do I mean Jesus shows us what it means to be a hero, is this. If you look at the Bible, um, particularly the Old Testament, God is referred to a lot of times as God Almighty, or Lord Almighty, El Shaddai. And the first time we hear about El Shaddai is in the book of Genesis. And literally what El Shaddai means is simply God most powerful. That there is no power, no authority that compares to God. And we, we hear God mention uh, that name about himself first in Genesis 17.1. Where he's talking to Abraham. Uh, Abraham is known as the father of our faith. And it actually comes from this. It says... When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. It says, and Abraham fell face down. So God comes and literally says, I am God most powerful. 
And, and from that point on, God is known as the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. So when I talk about a story, a good story, but a true story, this is our story, the story of our faith, where God comes and says, I'm going to give you a promise, and you can trust that promise because I am most powerful. And I can, I can fulfill that promise. And we see El Shaddai, God Almighty, do incredible things to fulfill that promise. We see him bring plagues on Egypt. We see him rescue people through the Red Sea. We see him show up in absolutely terrific ways. Um, And yet a God who, when he approaches, like Abraham here, people fell down in fear and awe. In Hebrews um, chapter 12, it says, Um, You have not come to the mountain that cannot be touched, a mountain surrounded by fire, where when people heard his voice, they shrunk back because they didn't want to die. (laughs) That is El Shaddai, that is God most powerful. The word here, though, when it says mighty God, this is is so unique because it is not El Shaddai. The word here is El Gabor. Okay, you don't need to remember that if you don't want you can remember what it means. So El Shaddai means God, all, God Almighty, God Most Powerful. El Gabor, he will come as mighty God, means God our mighty hero. It means God our mighty hero. And, and before you spiritualize that, let's look at how it's used in the Bible. So the first time it's used is in Genesis 6, which... Um, is sometimes a confusing passage. We're not going to deal with the whole thing. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, Genesis, in Genesis 6-4, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and afterward, when the Son of God went to the daughters of humans, they had children. <laughs> we'll let your parents explain all that to you. What we're going to look at is the next statement where it says, They were the heroes of old, men of renown. They were the Gabor of old. They were the heroes. Um, And so you have these extraordinary people doing extraordinary things, and people were in awe of what they could do. Um, The next time it's mentioned, if if you have your Bibles open, turn to Genesis 10, verses 8 and 9. It says, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior, on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, and that is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. So that mighty hunter, that he is being referred to three times here as Gabor, not El Gabor, El means God. So just as a hero, it literally is this super person. And and throughout the Old Testament, it is that word is just used to refer to mighty, valiant people who we're incredibly impressed by. So, um, the question is here, why is Jesus referred to not as God most powerful, but as God our mighty hero? And the reason for it is this, um, very, very simply, is that when Jesus shows us what we need, which isn't always what we want. So if I were to say, 
Jesus is our mighty hero. Let me tell you, the picture that will come to mind first, or the picture you'd paint, the picture that is painted of Jesus, right? If you look at any piece of artwork, is not the way Jesus is represented in the scriptures, okay? Um, it's astounding how, how even when we try to make him look most meek and mild, we cannot do it accurately because we, we don't, and I don't know how to express this other than we don't want the Jesus that's represented in Scripture. It's far more hard to see. He's not our hero. Um, so we have to be careful of confusing our ideas of greatness, our ideas of what it means to be amazing, with our idea of who God is. Some examples of this is, if, if we think of, of what we're impressed by, our, our superheroes, um, there's four things I think we look at. One is we look for genius. Uh, you can see this in the, the new uh, infatuation with Sherlock Holmes, right? People, he's brilliant. He can solve anything. He's just awesome, right? We, we love watching him do what he does because he is a super genius, right? And so not only in that, but if you think of a guy like Steve Jobs, who... Moving out of fiction into very non-fiction, Steve Jobs is by no means, you read his story, he's no, by no means a good man, right? I had an aunt, actually, that worked for Steve Jobs and got fired by him multiple times and rehired because he was not a nice man. <laughs> like I, I found this out two years ago when I was just eating a meal with her, and she just was telling me stories about what would go on in the office. He was unkind. And yet, why do we celebrate Steve Jobs? Because Steve Jobs represents for us genius. And, and we think genius has the ability to save us. Um, the second thing is power, right? So you have a character, a fictional character like Hulk, who represents like, like, have you seen what they do to Hulk in those movies? He is absolutely invincible. He's just so strong. Like, don't make me angry, right? Because then you can't do anything about it. <laughs> and, and, and so we, we desire that sort of power. And, and talking about power, this is represented, I think, in, in our nonfiction world by, by this kind of fitness cult. I, I fully endorse exercise. That's awesome. But honestly, there's this whole, like, kind of fitness pornography movement where it's like, let me wear basically nothing and show you how strong I am. Right, and and that's uncomfortable for me to talk about from the pulpit. But you know why it's uncomfortable? Because it's attractive, and that's that's why we we celebrate that form of power. Why? Because maybe it will save us. <laughs> because maybe if I look that way or or can be that strong, maybe it will save me from loneliness, or maybe it will save me if I get in a fight, right, or or whatever that is. Um, Influence. We think influence will save us. We know this fictionally because we celebrate someone like Katniss Everdeen, who in Hunger Games, you might think, oh, she's a great, great with a bow and arrow, but what is she? She's a symbol. That's what they say she is in, in the books and the movies. She's a symbol that people will rally around, so she has the influence that can save people. And we laugh about that, but then why do people follow Donald Trump? Not because he's a nice man, 
but because he has influence. We know he is unethical, he's a jerk, but people want to follow him. Why? Because they believe that with his influence, he could possibly save our country. That's why. Um, It's incredible what we will do because we believe that influence will save. The last thing is this, beauty. We don't just have models, but we have supermodels, right? (laughs) Who have been all made up nice by digital, digital art to make them look, what, super. So, and not because it makes you feel better about yourself, but worse, Right? Because you look at them, and, and why do we do that? Because we hope that beauty will save us. If I'm beautiful, then I will be loved. Right? If I'm beautiful, then maybe I'll be just constant. Everywhere I go, people will like me, and I'll be accepted. Maybe I'll find that special someone. If I look better, I'll be saved by it. And, and that, guys, these are all lies. These are all untrue, but... When we look at what we want in a Savior, that is, what, that is what we're looking for. So it's easy. It's not just easy. It's natural to our hearts to think about salvation in these terms. Think of our heroes in these terms. So how is it that Jesus redefines what it means to be a hero for us? How is he a hero the world needs? In the book of Isaiah... Um, Isaiah is considered like the the gospel, the good news of the Old Testament, because it talks so much in very clear terms about Jesus. And I think in Isaiah 52 and 53, it it shows us how Jesus is our hero, but he's not the hero that we want. but He's the hero that we need. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah 52. Um, We're going to start in verse 13. Isaiah 52, verse 13. It says, See my servant, talking about Jesus, he will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And then, so we think, that's Jesus, that's my Savior. He's going to be exalted, he's going to be higher than everybody else. But follow me here. Verse 14, it says, Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he sprinkled many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. What they, w- they were not told is that your power, king, won't save you. Right? Why will their mouths be shut? Because, because what they thought would rescue them could not rescue them. Like Steve Jobs, <laughs> who's now dead, his genius could not save him. Um, so, so where is the hope? Well, the hope is in this man who was appalling. Follow me into chapter 43. It says, who has believed our message? This message that is so extraordinary. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Pause. Let's, I just, we can't move past that. Jesus had no beauty and no majesty that you would look at him and think, I want to be like him. I want to look like him. Why? Because any, any feeling of, of unloveliness that you have felt, Jesus has felt that to an amplified extent. 
Because he had no, he purposefully came in a form that you wouldn't be attracted naturally by him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteem him not. Guys, and I, I stopped earlier. I just can't stop though. This is way too good. It says, surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. We considered him punished by God. Surely God would do this to no person. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And that is, that is the good news. So how is Jesus our hero? Well, I'll read to you from, from Hebrews 4, but as I'm turning there, I want to share a quote with you that, that described to me salvation in a whole new way this last year. Um, it was from a book called From Brokenness to Community by Jean Vanier, which has had a tremendous influence on my life. And in that book, he says, for those who have lived their whole lives in first place, Number one, I'm the hero. When they find that Jesus is in last place, it's terribly confusing. Because their whole life, all they wanted was first place, to be best. But those who have lived their whole lives in last place, when they find that Jesus is also in last place, it's the good news. It's the gospel. And that's where we find Jesus. In Hebrews 4, describing our great high priest, who is Jesus, it says, Therefore, We have a high priest who did ascend to the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to our faith. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but but we have one that was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us approach God's throne with grace and confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. So what he's saying there is, is the extent you have felt hurt or rejection or pain in any way, Jesus has felt that. The child who would come and be wonderful counselor, mighty God, our hero God, our everlasting father and our prince of peace is one who can relate with you wherever you are. He can. And before your heart says no, he can't. Let me say yes, he can. He can. Read Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected. A man familiar with suffering. By his wounds, he has made us whole. That is, that is the good news. That is the gospel. And that's how Jesus redefines what it means to be a hero. He shows that being a hero isn't being super. But when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And shared everything we have to our uttermost. So how does this show us God in a new way? Um, it shows us God in a new way. Because in the Old Testament, sometimes, sometimes it feels like God's, God El Shaddai is unapproachable. Um, unapproachable because he is holy. He is um, awe-inspiring and terrifying at times. And, and when we read those stories... And we see how his standards of perfection are above perfection. We wonder, 
God, I see, I see that you've revealed yourself to us that we can worship you, but God, we can't even approach you. And so, so we learn about God in a new way because we find in Jesus a God who, instead of staying far away or even coming like a Thor or a Hulk came as a human being and showed us not just what it means to be God, to be full of love and rich in mercy and wanting there to be no, not an ounce of separation between himself and you, but he also showed us what it meant to be human and to live in relationship with him like we looked at weeks ago in John 17 where he prays to the Father and they, may they be one as we are one I in them and you in me may we be brought to complete unity and so he, he showed us what it means to be God perfect in unity walking perfect but he also showed us what it means to be perfectly human and welcomed us into that an illustration that I thought of I was on the ferry yesterday and um, just praying for you guys and trying to think, how do I explain this? This God who, who has this identity of awe-inspiring and terrifying. How do, how do I explain that? And, um, and I thought of an illustration which I wrote down and I'll, I'll read to you. Imagine a child who only knows the presence of his father at, at home. They see their father arrive tired after a long days of, day of work at 5.30. Um, it never dawns on his child that, that their father is actually somewhere during the day. To the child, he exists only in this role of father, an authority in the home. One day, the boy is in town shopping with his mother He suddenly hears loud noises. There is screaming in the store. He sees fear in his mother's eyes, and despite her efforts to stay calm, she's trembling. The commotion continues, but they remain low and remain quiet. Then there is calm. They are told the police have come and that everything is going to be okay. As they leave the store, the boy tries to get a glimpse of the officers who have come to save the day. And much to his surprise and delight, standing Before him in the uniform is his father. And so this is what Jesus does. Jesus takes the context that we have, this this little context. God, you are far away. You are terrifying. And he, he completely shatters that. Shatters your context of God that says, God, you are just fearful and I can't approach you. And says, so let me approach you. Let me save you. Let me Come and, and take away any separation that might be between us. And so, man, what I want for us today, when we see mighty God, our hero God, is, is for you guys to let your little view of God, no matter how big you think your view of God is, let your, let your little view of God be shattered. And, and approach Him not by going, God, I know you, and so I'm... I'm just going to worship everything I know about you. Do that, but then also let him just blow you away with who he is. Enter his presence with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and just let him show himself to you. 
Let him be the hero who he is and not the hero you tried to make him to be, which limits him. In, in Philippians 2, there's uh, uh, 3, 10, it, one of my favorite verses, says, Paul just says, I want to know Christ. And in saying that, why that is hope for me is because he doesn't say, I know Jesus. Everything about him. I wrote the Bible. Right? That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, I want to know him. I know what I know about him is enough to give my whole life to him. To commit every ounce of love in my heart to him. To every commitment of my mind, I'm going to commit to him. What I know about him is enough and it has saved me. But I'm not going to pretend like I know everything about God. I'm going to let him be the mighty God he is and absolutely blow me away with who he is and, and let him speak to me. Let him reveal himself to me. And that is how he reveals himself in the story of the Gospels. In Matthew 1, uh, an angel of the Lord comes to a man who's a very simple man, a man who uh, was a carpenter, kind of salt of the earth kind of guy, and and tells him the most extremely hard-to-believe news ever, which was simply the woman that you love and are going to get married to, she's pregnant already. But don't worry about it. <laughs> I got that one covered. That's, there's the Holy Spirit. And, right? And so Joseph's just like... And, and, and yet he, he trusts God because this is what God says to him. It says, Joseph, don't be afraid, because you're freaking out right now. Right? <laughs> Joseph's all like, <laughs> right? <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And, and he says, don't be afraid. Marry your wife, be, be, uh, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You are to give them the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. And this is is our mighty God. And so um, how do we receive this? How do we people that that accept this and and live lives in acknowledgement of this? Uh, The first is don't think that the understanding you have of God that you carry around is complete. Um, it is enough to say, absolutely, I trust and will follow you. But there is so much more. There is so much more of this mighty hero God who wants to save you and, and show his love to you and be present in your life and just blow you away with who he is. And just to be people who, who come to him and, and let him show himself to us. Um, too many Christians, too many Christians go around like, I know God, as if like you read the Bible once and you know everything about him, right? That, how weird is that? <laughs> uh, he is infinite, omnipotent, he's eternal, and he invites you into that to share that with him. The second way, let him save you in the way he has come to save you. To save you from trying to be super genius or super beautiful or super powerful or super, super influential. To stop aspiring to that and, and let him shape you into the person he has made you to be. Secure in your identity in him. Celebrating that. 
and going and living from that confidence in the world. Let him save you from your idea of who you should be and let him show you who you are in him. He saves you for that. And then let's do that together. Guys, there are times when we get distracted. You'll see, you'll see someone chasing after a wrong idea of salvation and you can be the one who says, no, that's not, that's not your security. That's not goodness. That's not the good story. The good story is when God revealed himself to Abraham, made a promise to him, and, and through his mind power, kept that promise and kept it by becoming human himself and showing the extent of his love for you. Guys, that's the God I've committed my whole life to, and I, just, I invite you to do that also. Um, and I invite you now just to worship with us as we sing. So pray with me. Come, Lord Jesus, we... We need you to come even now to let us see yourself for who you are and not who we've tried to make you to be. Um, God, who saves us from the lies that we believe of what will satisfy us. I pray this, this Christmas season it will be radically special to us because we get the gift of knowing that you made us human and you made that so good, but that got so broke and you came as God, our hero um, in Jesus to show love and to save us. I pray there'll just be a a wholehearted resounding yes to that in our hearts and, and we'll tell people about it. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name, amen.